Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Two never felt so awful. Uh, here we are on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony. He's John, and we're talking oh so surprisingly about the Bengals being winless to start the year against a Steelers team that doesn't seem all that impressive. Lost themselves this week, and against the Dallas Cowboys with a backup quarterback, the Cincinnati Bengals can't get out of their own way. The offense can't make their way into the end zone, or really far down the field and here we are oh and two john sheeran happy to be chatting with you buddy um this was unexpected uh, in tra- as we went over the schedule and everything i know that means nothing in the spring and summer as, as we went over that we're like saying hey two and oh start the year potentially one and one at worst and here we are oh and two and we all know now what is it 10 percent, 12 percent of teams in recent history with an oh and two start only make the postseason i don't know man um how you feeling well 10% is a lot better than 0%. I guess there's <laughs> that. I don't I, I you talked about looking back at like the preseason or just like in the offseason look at the schedule. I looked at that Cowboys game. For one, they never seem to win in Dallas. They always have That's weird. You know what? Cuz we talked about it last week about how they were due, but it, to me it seems like now whenever the Bengals play the Cowboys, Jerry Jones's archaic vision of like his football team comes to fruition like just <laughs> pound the team to death doesn't matter how good the quarterback is Cooper Rush was essentially just a modern version of Troy Aikman out there and, and it wasn't exactly you know Emmett Smith or anything but their plan worked all they, all they needed was two touchdown drives in the beginning of the game to really set the tone and the Bengals couldn't uh, score more than 17 points because the Cowboys yeah. ran out of coverage that is three decades old now and still seems to be very effective against modern play callers so I in the before the season began, I saw the Cowboys with Dak Prescott and thought that was probably going to be a loss. And I think we all assumed that they were going to beat the Steelers regardless of anything. And they probably do that with a long snapper. So there's always hints of optimism, man. They could easily be 1-1 right right now, but they're 0-2 and that's all that matters. John, silver lining, Sheeran. I love it. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to talk about potential silver linings and other things here. We're going to talk about the... Lost to the Cowboys, break that down a little bit. Never has Tampa 2, that phrase, trended more on social media than the past week, it seems. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Uh, we're going to, you know, we thought we were going to unveil a new segment, and we titled it Fact or Fiction, but then we realized we have 
another segment that we call Believe It or Not. And it's so freaking similar. So we're not gonna we're not gonna unveil a new segment. We're gonna stick with the old one. But still, we've got a lot of questions. We're gonna volley back and forth to each other and what we believe and get our takes on some of those. Then we're gonna talk about the Jets helping us further preview the Jets tomorrow. 3 p.m. Eastern live, Andrew Golden from the Believe Podcast Network. Believe just keeps teeing up these great guests for us uh, to help preview things from the other side of the fence there. So Andrew Golden of the Believe Podcast Network will be joining us for a little smaller show tomorrow to, to help further preview the Jets game. And then we've got a fun listener questions live show on Friday. Uh, John, myself, and we'll be joined by Tyler Minerding, who does uh, Bengals therapy sessions on TikTok and Twitter. He does awesome stuff with that. And then, of course... The great Bangalorean also joining us. So we've got kind of a fun roundtable listener questions live. So make sure you get your questions rattled around in your brain to, to get over to us. That'll be a fun one on Friday as well to get things set up for the weekend. Um, as usual, you can get this show on your favorite audio streamer after we stream live. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones. We are there as well as Talking Football with Bengal Jim and Friends and Coach Speak and Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick. Those are on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. If you like what we specifically do on our show, hopefully you do. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel underneath John Sheeran there and that SB Nation logo. You can click the OBI logo. We've got all kinds of different videos we throw out for you. Um, and then, of course, you can also like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page to get all the shows, the live streams, and get the links to all the stories on CincyJungle.com, news, opinions, analysis, everything. So do it. Do it. All right, John. Oh boy, uh, where where do we start here with this one and what happened in Dallas? We kind of talked a little bit about, I guess let's talk about the Tampa 2 thing uh, and, and the, the defense that the Bengals have seemingly seen later part of 2021, and then they've, they've kind of had some struggles even in the postseason at times, uh, fighting that off, and then now these first two games, it's those two deep safeties taking away the deep ball, and the Bengals' lack of taking what defenses give them, whether it's short, inter, you know, short intermediate passing, um, poor protection. I mean, it's just kind of a myriad of factors here, but that defensive scheme as you see it and how it's affecting the Bengals' offensive side of the ball. Two high defenses aren't anything new compared to what the Bengals have faced, at least in the Joe Burrow era. I like what Burrow said. I think it was on Colin Cowherd's um, show with him on the volume. He said, like, in the beginning, you know, Defenses dared them to go deep because they couldn't connect on any vertical routes, right? And then, um, as last year began, you know they were just torching teams deep, and that's what made teams go back to try to go too high. The 49ers and the Chiefs, they primarily ran these type of coverages, not specifically Tampa 2, but you had two deep safeties taking away the deep boundaries, and that bottled the Bills offense up a lot in those respective games i'm talking about like the, the afc championship game and the 49ers game that was really frustrating with darius phillips you know muffing a couple punts but the offense started really slow in that game as well and that was more or less the coverage that they saw the most in those games and it it, it took him a half to figure it out but joe burrow had one of his better games of his it might have might have even been his best game of his entire career against the 49ers finished like 350 yards a couple of touchdowns five or six big time throws and he didn't really make a bad decision that night, but it took them a minute to formulate what was happening, but they had the counters and the route concepts and the play designs to eventually generate movement. So I don't think the Bengals are entirely clueless on how to do this. I think it's more of 
it's been two weeks in a row now where we've heard comments from either Zach Taylor or one of the coaches. I think it was Brian Callahan who said it this week that the defenses that they were game planning against, the Steelers and Cowboys, they both showed different tendencies compared to film that they studied from like last year's tape and everything. Steelers primarily, I think, were more of a single high or cover three defense in 2021. That's mm-hmm. what they faced uh, last season. And then they just rolled out with two high safeties and the Bengals were confused. It's what led to four turnovers or five turnovers or yeah, four turnovers for Joe Burrow. Five turnovers. Yeah. It's a fumble and four, four picks. picks at, yeah, yeah. Five. Yeah. They were, they were, bamboozled they were befuddled right and then like the cowboys kind of saw that and they kind of ran with it as well i don't think they are normally a a too high defense or maybe they're more of a multiple kind of just do whatever the offense is not good at and the cowboys plan was exactly the same as the steelers plan and callahan said that they didn't expect michael parsons to line up on the edge that much we talked with jeff cavanaugh last week we asked him if parsons was still this hybrid version of a linebacker edge rusher and he you know said that he would still be called a linebacker because they like to use him in multiple ways they just had parsons on the edge for 95 percent of the game because it worked because neither Both tackle sides, yeah. could could stop him at all so we were in a situation where of course it's early in the season and we don't have a great idea what any team is really except the really good ones but teams are going to roll out different packages and, and schemes and whatnot because every team is different from year to year and the Bengals are right now in a flux of finding out that teams are going to play them differently and the answers just have to come quicker than the middle of the third quarter so then this then in your in your opinion because this is kind of what I'm in agreement with you but in your opinion there there comes this avalanche effect of these different looks or different defenses than they anticipated these first two weeks potentially based on film study from last year and what I mean by that is you look at it, okay, they're showing us something different. Then you have, and this may this may uh, fold up our Believe It or Not segment based on the questions uh, we're going to ask in that one, but basically that's, that's causing Joe Burrow to hold the ball longer in certain circumstances. And then basically what the offensive line thinks they may see up front, that's causing issues aside from these offensive linemen just getting plain beat in one-on-one situations from time to time as well. Is that kind of this domino effect? Is that kind of what you're seeing? I mean, you you do this weekly lineman thing, a great a great uh, story or a, a great thing you do on Cincy Jungle and film review and whatnot. I mean, is this kind of am I correct in your estimation in saying that this domino effect is happening because of this? Hey, this is a little different than what we expected to see all week. Yeah, because when you have coverages that may look different pre-snap to post-snap or you have certain route concepts that just naturally take longer to develop. A common misconception, I believe, is that on vertical routes where the Bengals are really successful, those are long developing plays and they need a protection. That's not necessarily true. It's usually at the top of the hitch, the ball's already out or the ball is on its way to being out. So it doesn't require mm-hmm. protection to last that long because it's a it's timing based, right? It's just a, it's just a go route. The ball is supposed to go out because he can only throw it so far. For some of these other in-breaking routes where you're kind of manipulating the defense a little bit by creating like a levels concept by trying to take the safety or the Mike linebacker too deep so you free up that coveted middle portion of the field that does take longer than just a go route down the sideline so naturally the quarterback is going to hold the ball longer and like you said when you have two tackles who have just proven to be so far completely incompetent against the edges that they've gone up against the pocket naturally just loses its integrity and then you have two guards Anthony I think this is a a underrated aspect of the the issues on the offensive line. 
Cordell Volson at left guard, he's primarily doing these jump jump sets, right? He's getting into the defensive tackle's chest, but that takes away the depth that he's getting in his in his pass sets. So you have Jonah Williams in like a normal forty five degree pass set, he's gaining depth on the edge, and then you have the left guard who's kind of staying in one spot. He's not really dropping back in his pass sets. That leaves that uh, C gap, I believe, wide open between the left tackle. I, I guess it's the, yeah, I guess it's the B gap between the left tackle and left guard. That's allowing edges like Michael Parsons to just stun inside. And then you have the left tackle where the left guard should be. And the left guard's following the defensive tackle to the outside. So the pocket already compromised on one end. And then you have Alex Kappa. He, he's doing all right. Like, I don't think he's playing necessarily bad. But he's playing next to a liability in Leo Collins, who's given up the inside way too often. So you have the pocket crumbling from, these, from both B gaps. And then Burrow is trying to maneuver around. He's trying to remain a passer and hold the ball up right. But when you consistently see that pocket crumble around you time and time again, when you're trying to hold the ball for three seconds to allow these guys to get open, and sometimes, or at least most of the times, you're not having the the right concepts to generate the space against these coverages, it really just all compiles into a pressure fest. And that's why the Bengals are one of three teams to allow 30 pressures through the first two games. And I think only the Rams' offensive line has been charged with more sacks allowed than the Bengals. So it's a conglomeration of things. Obviously, the offensive line is losing individual reps. And maybe Burrow on some of these plays should should be getting the ball out quicker just to avoid a a sack. But again, we've talked about that's a a unfortunate tendency of Burrow's game. And it's just all Mm -hmm. combining into just a disarray on offense. Well, I mean, we'll talk more about the tackles in the next in the next segment here. But I mean, are you are you a little bit surprised that in this game against the Cowboys, the Bengals were unable to adjust, unable to do anything different, especially when you're playing a backup quarterback? Look, uh, Cooper Rush started the game off well, and he had some some nice throws at, at times in that game. There was a point, a serious point of a dry spell from the Cowboys after they got off script and, you know, they, they script that first drive and all that kind of stuff. So after they got off script, there was a long dry spell and there was a good opportunity for the Bengals to kind of seize control in that game, especially when they got the, the DJ reader fumble recovery and all this. You could start seeing momentum kind of potentially build their way, but they just could not do anything on offense. Does the, I mean, I don't know if you want to say it, if you want to talk about adjustments, if it's not even that, I mean, just the sheer inability to do anything, even though there's a lot of pressure, even though the offensive line is not playing well and and the defense is doing something different, does it just surprise you that still the Cincinnati Bengals, with all of their weapons, playing a backup quarterback, only scored 17 points? Yeah, I mean, they should be scoring more, and there's not really any great excuses for that. I I have noticed when Burrow has been speaking, at least this week, I guess he's been speaking a couple times, the the commonality whenever he's talking to the media is just shooting themselves in the foot, like constantly being first and 15 or first and long and then mm-hmm. second and long situations, giving the defense just consistent opportunities to tee off on the offensive line. You already have an offensive line that's struggling to win one-on-ones most of the time. Now you're in a position where you're giving defensive coordinators chances to unleash whatever twists, stunts that they seem to be you know right to use in that situation because they know it's an obvious passing situation. Not being able to... I've never been the guy who's like established the run. I think most people know that about me. But when you can't run consistently and successfully, it does make your offense one-dimensional. And when you don't have a, a passing game that can torch any defense, it is going to make it harder. And then you can't really run on first and long or second and long. Kind of, it, It's kind of a, a, a lose situation in that sense. You're in a position where you're forced to pass. And they, 
right now it's just they, they can't get out of their own way. I, I think that's in that sense, it's not too surprising to me because his offensive line clearly still needs more reps together. And just the fact that they didn't play at all in the preseason and, and they've had limited practice time together, like those uh, specific like penalties and false starts and miscommunications, I guess that's not too surprising. Maybe it's more that the fact that they're losing a lot of individual reps consistently because they should be better than they are right now. Maybe that's, I guess, the, the more surprising part. And the fact that you know they're not scheming guys open as well as they should be, that's also not... It's unfortunately not a, a terrible surprise under uh, this coaching regime, regime because it's usually just allowing special players to make special plays and just putting it all on their shoulders to, to make to make the big plays happen. So, unfortunately, knowing what we know, it, it's not. Some of these issues are kind of foreseeable, but in the end of the day, like they're still too talented to not be putting up at least twenty points a game. The inability. I mean, it it, it would be one thing if the Bengals. Just, hey, we can't get the ball downfield in the passing game. You know, the protection is just not holding up. But, hey, we're able to run the ball. We're able to kind of do some different things. But the inability to do either and do either mm-hmm. with any consistency is is staggering, especially when you look at the talent level of all the skill position players. And so that's kind of what, what boggles my mind. And before we get to, uh, believe it or not, I guess we can switch sides to the defense because the special teams ended up remedying itself with Cal Automitis in there. Um, good for him, and that was that was good to see. He had McPherson hitting another uh, 50-yarder in this one, so good to see there. But on the defensive side, again, the, it's kind of a theme from week one, do enough, get off the field, you know, do, do enough uh, in, in terms of managing the points allowed, but the lack of splash plays. Um, what did we have? Another one, one sack game, and one this time they did have the turnover. They're just not getting – the big plays on defense that they had last year and, and last year also the timeliness of them. So you can look at the Larry Ogunjobi absence potentially. And then of course you can look on the defensive lines. Sam Hubbard had a very nice game in this one. Uh, DJ reader had a nice game in this one as well, but you look at again, the, the lack of an ancillary pass rush weapon behind Hendrickson behind Hubbard and you go, where's where's the the extra spark there on a, on an obvious passing down? They have yet to find it, dude. Like DJ Reader is by far their best pass rusher, which is not yeah. He's, that, being, that was, he's that was, playing awesome. That was not expected. It's definitely welcomed, but that is a little bit damning to the likes of Trey Hendrickson and Joseph Asai. And Asai hasn't had a ton of chances, and I think he's gotten in on a handful of pressures here and there. So maybe it's just a matter of just getting him more involved. But Hendrickson, I think, needs to be more of a presence. Um, the fact that he hasn't really been that much of an impact player that we know him to be that's kind of hindered the defense a little bit they dropped at least what two three interceptions in this game and they ended Mm -hmm. up getting the fumble recovery which is a great play by both logan wilson and von bell kind of gang tackling of course who else but dj readers is there to to pick up the fumble when he picked it up crazy when he picked it up were you like get get down immediately because he he tried to run a little bit right i think he he ran backwards a little bit but yeah i i feel like we always talk about the defense when the offense struggles and it's like, can the defense do more? And it feels unfair to put more on the defensive shoulders. Cooper Rush stood tall in the pocket and made some nice throws, but he didn't play necessarily great, at least from the standards of the Bengals getting blown out by backup quarterbacks. I think he had like an average game overall because he's Cooper Rush and he should he have did thrown enough. probably. Yeah, he yeah. did enough. He should, he should have thrown multiple interceptions, but that's the name of the game, right? Sometimes you get lucky. So 
the pass rush didn't come alive until late in the game. I think that's the biggest issue. I think they're getting enough out of the secondary. They had a couple of, of miscues where they had sort of like bracketed coverage from like the safety, either Jesse Bates or Eli Apple playing off coverage and allowed yeah. like a deep crosser, which allowed, which led to some big plays. But overall, the secondary is playing fine. I think they just need more out of Hendrickson and they need to get Osai involved more because he is probably going to be, when it's all said and done, their second best edge rusher. Yeah, when I mean, and then of course with pressure and sacks and all of that come more errant throws, interceptions, all that kind of stuff. We know that and we've seen that. So it's just, it just you know, and we'll we'll ask this question in the next one. It just it, it's it just feels like matter of time, matter of time. But uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, Bengals lose a lose a tough one, fall to zero and two, and they have an uphill battle. And the the worst part, John, about losing this game to a backup quarterback. Look at what happened to the rest of the AFC North on Sunday. It's just like, oh my goodness, they had the Bengals had a golden opportunity after just that freak incident in week one. They had a golden opportunity to really kind of catch back up with things after all three other teams let, you know, win slip through their fingers and there you go. The Bengals also lost and the division goes winless on on the weekend. I'm more of a glass half full kind of guy when it comes to that. It's it's better that they all lose than they all win, and then you're in in, in even uh, well, yeah. a deeper hole, I guess. But yeah, yeah, the Ravens should definitely be two and zero right now. I don't know how they let two that was crazy. just top top them off like that. The Steelers are just like they're they're just bad at this point. The Bengals should not lose to them again. The Browns, well, they're the Browns. Yep, and I got to tell you, I mean, I know we shouldn't sit here and puff out our chest with the Bengals being 0-2, but talking about that Steelers game against the Patriots, neither, neither one of those teams uh, seem no. very scary to me. So, uh, you know, if the Bengals get right, if they get right, you know, those those should be two two wins on the docket here this year, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity – but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's, let's get into it. Uh, let's stay with the old reliable... <laughs> The old reliable title of the segment and not the new one, believe it or not. All right, John, let's kind of volley some questions back and forth. I also saw a couple of interesting ones in our live chats as well that I feel could be could be good ones. So we may sprinkle a couple of those in there if you've got guys got some, but all right, a lot about this today. Lael Collins now resting out this uh, practices this week with a back injury. He had a back issue into training camp. You've We've also talked about the issues with Jonah Williams just not playing great in the first two games here. So I guess we can kind of lump both of the tackles in here. I mean, our, a lot of people are saying, oh, we, we may as well bench Lael Collins right here. I, you know, are you talking about going back to the Hakeem Adeniji well? Or are you talking about, you know, giving Deontay Smith a shot? I don't know what the what the plan would be there for those screaming for that. But, I mean, are you already kind of giving up on this Lael Collins signing at this point? You know, there are some questions when they signed him. But obviously, when he plays well, he is very, very good. Your, uh, I, I guess, believe it or not, Lael Collins and Jonah Williams are going to get right as the year goes on, or do you not believe that? And we're going to see more of the same. I'm certainly not giving up on Lael Collins. I do think that this has been a wake-up call for most people who just think of the timeline of this thing. You had rumors of the Cowboys either releasing or trading Lael and the consensus was the Bengals should, without a doubt, trade a first or, or a second round pick in order to secure him. No one else, no other team was even close to considering that kind of deal. The Cowboys were desperate. They were just unloading players on the roster. They were just dumping guys. We talked with, with Jeff last week a little bit about this. It didn't happen. The Bengals, or the Cowboys released Lael. They bring him in for a visit. It takes two to three days to negotiate a deal. It ends up being a deal laden with per-game roster bonuses. It wasn't by accident. Like This is kind of the Lael Collins experience right now. When he's healthy, when he's right, he's a really good player, and he will be paid as such. But there are variables that come with this. It's why his value has been dropping ever since he was suspended a couple years ago. And he has he's only played, I guess, 14 games now in the past two or three seasons. He's just mm-hmm. not been the old Lel Collins that the Cowboys signed a five-year, $50 million deal with. He was never worth a first-round pick in a, in a trade. That, that value, it, it, he wasn't the same player anymore. And even when he is good, he's good, but these are the things that you deal with Lel Collins. He missed a lot of practice time with a back injury. He's clearly still dealing with that if he's on the injury report with the same in- issue. Maybe we can attribute that to why he hasn't been as good. There's also the, the variables of him going up against both T.J. Watt and Michael Parsons. is not an easy task for any right tackle in the NFL. So we can give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. But just 
focusing in on him and what he's doing, the quality of the reps, clearly something is up. Either he's not trusting his health or he was just so scared of Micah's speed around the edge. He was abandoning all sorts of technique and he was just, he looked clueless out there. He looked like a backup. And I understand the frustration of putting another guy in there because how much worse can he be? But I'm willing to attribute a lot of this to Rust and the fact that he's dealing with something that's happening. But again, that's what you signed up for when you signed Lowell Collins. It's interesting when you go back and look at that chat we had with Jeff Kavanaugh of Believe in Cowboys podcast there where he said, you know, he talked about Amari Cooper and he talked about Leo Collins. And basically the, what he kind of came out and said is the Cowboys just did not want these players anymore. Even though they had played well for them in the past, they didn't want them in the building anymore for a variety of reasons. Um, and he kind of list, listed some and then he also just kind of, you know, that was his kind of gut feeling on the situation. Now you look at that and you talk about what you're talking about with, with Collins and you go, well, maybe these are some of the reasons why not only the Cowboys didn't want him around that building, as Kavanaugh said, or and or what you said about how teams weren't really clamoring for him when he was on the trade market and or the free agent market. So, again, when, like you said, when he's right, he is a good player there. What's interesting to me, and this is probably a good segue into our, uh, into another question down the road here, but um, I mean, he actually has had a pretty, uh, I have to find the, the run block rate, but the run block rade last week uh, was, was pretty like high. 95. With, yeah. yeah. I was, I, you know, it's so I, I was going to say 92, but yeah, 95. And so you look at that and you go, well, where's the disparity here and and what you know what aren't the Bengals scheming towards i know pff isn't isn't football scripture per se but i mean it is a very good indicator of a lot of different things and obviously we and many others rely upon it so i i don't know there's just you, you see that score you see the inability to run uh, run the football by the Bengals, but then you also see you know the the lack of pass protection maybe it's the back I'm not ready to throw in the towel on either guy yet. It is a little bit more concerning that both of these guys, it's not like they're rookies. It's not like they're second year guys, Williams and Collins and, and having struggles early this season. Maybe things, you know, start to start to right the ship and they, they play some not, not as great defensive lines and things change, but it is worrisome, man. It is very worrisome. Yeah. With Williams, I think it's worse just because he's been healthy this entire off season and he's just not looked anything close to what I think most people know him to be capable of. Now, he's always been a little bit inconsistent, but he's become more consistently bad than good, which is not a good sign. I will say with the with the run blocking, I think they are still trying to figure out what works best with this conglomeration. We talked in the offseason about the guys that they brought in, like more experienced, at least two of them, in more gap scheme concepts. And I think with Lael, he's pretty versatile. He can do whatever you need him to do as a run blocker, but... With him and Kappa next to each other, like they've been running some inside zone, some duo, just getting those down blocks and you know double teaming the, the defensive tackles and moving up to the linebacker. Like I think they look pretty good with that, and I, I think that's where the majority of of Collins's positive run blocking grade has come from. So let's stay with the offense here. I want to ask you about the guy that you profiled in a Bengals biography, Tyler Boyd. Right now, he's fifth on the team in targets. He's behind even like Hayden Hurst. And Joe Mixon, he's not really been involved a lot in the game plan thus far. And you have to think, Anthony, when you're dealing with coverages where the middle <laughs> of the field is where you want to attack, like, is this an opportunity to get 
Boyd more involved in the offense? Is he almost like the secret weapon to kind of unlocking things in order for the offense to progress where it needs to go? Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Uh, to me, I mean, look at look at Tyler Boyd too. Arguably, had uh, you know two of the the team's biggest plays of the year so far in in, in respective weeks. He had the two point conversion this week, an amazing route that he ran to get that two point conversion, get open there. He had the touchdown against the Steelers as well. So my my thing is, you know, I, I know I know we want the big play to chase, and it, it it'll be there. I know the intermediate routes and using that tall body of, of T Higgins is always something that's great, especially either seam routes or crossers or all that kind of stuff. Yes. Hayden Hurst looks like he's a nice asset in the passing game as well. You like to use Joe Mixon, but for me, this, this is kind of security blanket time. Uh, and, and Tyler Boyd has always been a guy that Joe Burrow in his short career, he, he likes to get him the ball. He, you know, he'll get the ball out to him quickly. The ball will be caught. If it's anywhere near on target, even in, in tight coverage, the ball will be caught. And this is, you know, I, I hate to say this about a guy like Joe Burrow, but this is maybe one of those things where, you, hey, get the early rhythm. Get the early rhythm. Get these short intermediate routes. I know Burrow does have, I think it's the seventh seventh quickest release or fourth quickest release, something like that in terms of time when he lets go of the ball in the league right now. But this is an opportunity to get the ball out even faster if, if protection remains an issue. And who knows what's going to happen to right tackle this week with Collins missing practice. So I think it's a golden opportunity to right the ship here, get the ball to Tyler Boyd. All of a sudden that defensive alignment as you're making plays, moving the sticks, maybe getting some, some more points than you had been the first two weeks, that defensive alignment changes, things kind of move up a little bit. Then all of a sudden there's an opportunity for a big ball to chase. I challenge, I challenge the Bengals to run mesh or just any type of intersecting routes over the middle. I don't feel like at this point they've run it so little. It's almost like bro. Where's it been? Like it. It, it, it's not existent. Like this guy gets compared to Tom Brady twice on Sundays and eight times a week. Tom Brady lives off mesh. That's what he, all he did in New England, right? I, I don't, I don't know if it's just something that Taylor or Burrow just doesn't like. But that would be right in Boyd's wheelhouse. And, I, I, yep. and again, like maybe it's something that they're not comfortable with. They don't practice it, but they probably should at this point because it would work great against these coverages. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I guess I will just kind of turn that question quickly back on you before I got another one for you. But I mean, I mean, do you do you agree or disagree? Believe it or not, that Tyler Boyd is kind of the key, and they needed to do that. They need to use him more. Yeah, I think if you have Boyd and Chase in the slot, I think you're putting defenses in a bind when you're going in like those two-by-two two formations or just condensing the formation and putting Boyd kind of close to the formation, giving him option routes to the inside, the outside. It, it condenses the defense a little bit more too, and that, like you said, creates opportunities down the field. There's, there is definitely more that they can do with Tyler Boyd. Now, when you have T. Higgins and Jamar Chase on the field along with him, you're more tempted to go to those guys because they can win one-on-one coverages on the outside more often. But again, if you're trying to attack the, the intermediate, intermediary parts of the field over the middle, like that's where Joe Burrow has not been very good at this season so far. I think they can definitely get more creative with Boyd. And I think it would definitely help. I do as well. I saw one here, and this I'm looking for it. Here we go. Uh, a question so nice, he asked it twice. Matthew Rowell in Facebook. Do you think we need to keep extra O-linemen? The old Dennis Rowland tackle eligible. Uh, and or an extra TE tight end every play until protection gets better. Obviously, that's going to be an interesting one this week, depending on what happens with Collins. But 
A little bit of a talk. Connor War of, of Sports Illustrated echoed something I, I just kind of briefly mentioned in the postgame show Sunday, which was, you know, did they trust C.J. Uzama more on chip blocking, blocking assignments maybe more than they do Hurst and or others? Now you've got Drew Sample, their H-back slash primary tight end blocker. Uh, he's going to be out with because he had a knee surgery. I guess he's going to miss many weeks or multiple months or whatever the case is there. So you won't have him. I don't know. What do you think about this question here from Matthew? I think this always gets brought up when you talk about pass protection issues. And I feel like there's a misunderstanding when it comes to adding more bodies to the equation. When there is more people that you have and that you have to account for, I think it creates more miscommunication issues rather than simplifies things. What you saw on Sunday, like, Joe Mixon had some moments in pass projection, but also he looked really lost at some times. There was one where he was like leaning towards one side of the formation, but he was looking on the opposite side and he ran right into Jonah Williams. You had Drew Sample one-on-one against a defensive end off of, off of a miscommunication arrow. It wasn't designed for him to be against, I think, Dorrance Armstrong one-on-one. I think Jonah, was, or Jonah or Cordo was supposed to down block on someone, and unfortunately Sample ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. When the Bengals are in empty, when they were in empty on Sunday, I think Burrow was 6 for 6 for 76 yards. Like They're fine when they have those quick developing plays with only five blockers because things are simple. The ball naturally gets out of the quarterback's hands faster when you have the minimal amount of protection possible. When you add more bodies to the equation on an offense that clearly has issues communicating right now with guys continuing to gel, I'm not sure if it necessarily makes things better. And also, when you add an extra blocker, you're taking away a receiver from the field and you have a defenses who are consistently dropping seven or eight guys back in coverage because they don't feel the, the need to blitz you because they can generate pressure with four. I don't think it really makes things any better. I'm in agreement with you, sort of. Uh, for the, for, I mean, for the most part, I'm in agreement with you. My thing is with, and I, I guess this is just kind of a little bit of a mantra that I adopt a little bit in general, but if it isn't working for you, um, you know, meaning the tackle play or what have you, and or these defensive ends, these edge rushers are dominating the games as we've seen in the first two weeks. Why not try it here and there? Try something else here and there to negate the pass rush, to negate the effects of these dominant players like Micah Parsons. Uh, I know Cam Hayward's an interior player, but Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, it's, et cetera. You know, I that's my thing with it. I, I don't. I don't think it needs to be a regular staple. I don't think it needs to be what it was in what 2009 when you had Winston and yeah. Roland and all that. You don't need to do that that whole deal. But I do think you know at times maybe you want to do that, especially if you're just not getting things done in the passing game. And if Lael Collins is in there po- posting that kind of run block grade, maybe you put another guy out that way and you kind of just try and road grade a little bit. I, I you know. I, again, I, I don't think it needs to be an offensive staple. I think there, it's, it's something you can mix in here and there. I do agree with you on the communication aspect. But uh, again, if I mean, if this is something that just keeps becoming an issue and edge defenders just keep wreaking havoc, you got to at least throw something different at, at them to try and calm things down. Did you just reference Eric Winston? I'm impressed if you I did. did. I did, what, yeah. What a very honorary, <laughs> obscure bangle. He was, he was pretty <laughs> decent for them. Yeah, there's an obscure Bengals Twitter account. Maybe they can put out Eric Winston there. Uh, he's known for largely being the NFLPA president, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. Was it my turn or your turn? I already forgot. Um, I think it was my turn. Okay, so, go for it. I'm, let's just go ahead and address the quarterback now. J- just in your, from 
your observations in, in your eyes, like where do you see like Burrow's tendencies right now? Like, is it being overblown that he's holding the ball for too long or he's just giving up on plays and he's dropping his eyes? Like there were some moments I think in this game where you're like, yeah, that kind of looks a little bit like Andy Dalton, which is not what you want when you have a first overall Heisman winning pick at quarterback. But there, there were definitely some moments where you start to think that maybe the pressure is getting to him. And I think that's also, Anthony, something that we have to just reconcile with. Like, no quarterback is immune to just pressure constantly, constantly in your face. Now, this might be more of a long-term issue than just an issue on, on a week-to-week basis, but are we kind of overblowing Joe Burrow, kind of reverting or kind of regressing into a quarterback that he hadn't been before? Overblowing? No, because I, I, I think – not that I see him becoming that type of player per se, but it's something that you have to be cognizant of, you have to be concerned about. I mean, we're, we're talking, what, 112, 115 sacks uh, or something at this point in his career in 30 games, 32 mm-hmm. games. That's unbelievable. And now this year he's got 13 sacks and 20 quarterback hits in two games. That that is just not sustainable. Now you can you can blame Leo Collins, you can blame Jonah Williams, you can blame the offensive line, you can blame Joe Burrow for holding on to the ball, all kinds. And and the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of blame to go around the coaching staff, everybody. But it's still not getting better. He's still taking way too many hits. He's still taking way too many sacks. And when you when he talks about these plays that derail a you know these drives they get in a hole in these drives well a lot of it is because early downs either they get a loss in a run play or they get sacked maybe the occasional penalty but these are the types of things that this improved offensive line was just supposed to really curb as these just devastating plays that absolutely kill drives and then you get into predictable situations second and 15s third and 12s you know third and nines where it's like well yeah they're gonna throw uh, and he's going to drop back, and he's going to try and make a play, and then it just avalanches. He gets hit again. He gets sacked again. So it's not my thing. Isn't so much. I don't. I don't worry as much about Joe developing bad habits, bad tendencies. I saw a little bit of, of that this week that worried me. But the thing that that I'm worried about is just you know this is not a sustainable way to play football, and this is not a sustainable way to have. Joe Burrow have a long and productive career. You can't have him get hit double digit times a game and get sacked a half a dozen times a game on average, which has been kind of the norm since the postseason and on. You can't have it. And so that's that's my thing about I don't think it's overblown because that I, I really worry just about the physical toll that all this takes. Yeah, I th- I, and I think that's, again, a conversation to be had as the season goes on if, if it keeps getting – worse and worse and that's something that you just look towards the future if it can actually be prevented or just I guess stopped at a certain point when it comes to I think holding the ball too long or maybe getting a skittish pocket I, I really like I, I don't I, it's more complicated than, than saying it's just a game plan issue but I really think the numbers that Jay Morrison of the athletic provided I think that really says a lot just about the ethos of this team right now and how Joe Burrow's like career passer rating on the first and second drives of the game is like 72. And his average passer rating for drives 3 through 11 or whatever is like 108. Like this, the difference is so stark in yep. the fact that this team cannot 
write an opening script to save its life. And <laughs> most of Joe Burrow's bad plays where he's drop, becoming a runner too soon or just abandoning on pockets, they're happening early in the game. And as the game goes on, he starts to settle in. And I do think that there are a handful of examples that you can point to in this Cowboys game where you're like, that's Joe Burrow, right? He's he's calm in the pocket. Even if there's some minor chaos around him, he's not abandoning. He's he's keeping the ball up. He's looking downfield, and he's stepping into some of these throws. I can think of a couple off the top of my head. And then he was you know, um, rolling out of the pocket. He was extending plays. There was that great uh, throw against his body to T. Higgins on the sideline to convert a third down. That's how he scored the touchdown. He was rolling out of the pocket on a play where he was trying to, you know, move Higgins to an open spot in the end zone. So we're seeing the shades of normal Burrow as the game continues to go on. He's starting to settle in. But when you you clearly just can't, again, write a script that takes advantage of whatever the defense is doing, it puts your quarterback in a bind where he's a little bit uncomfortable in the early portions of the game. And then you're starting to see some of these habits unfold. But I don't think it's going to be something that is going to become permanent. I think they're, they're just a product of him getting rattled a little bit. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, the other thing with him and how he's been playing and stuff, obviously he's he's put up a number of a decent number of rushing yards the first two weeks as well because he has escaped a number of other precarious situations where he's been able to extend play, get get a first down or what have you. So um, you don't want to take that away from him either because that's a, a valuable part of his his game as well. Uh, I, I guess we can start kind of closing up this segment, believe it or not. Uh, and why not talk about the one, the super chat here from Socks? Socks is one of our more, one of our most generous listeners, always donating, and that will go to the Pollock Family Foundation as well. So thank you for that, by the way. If anyone wants to continue to donate to that, givesendgo.com slash Pollock Family Foundation. And when we do listener questions live on Friday, if you do a super chat, those will get to the top of the queue and those donations will continue to go there. We've got uh, quite a bit that we'll be giving over to them and we'll be doing uh, highlighting them for a little while longer. Givesendgo.com slash Pollock Family Foundations. Uh, appreciate your support there. But Sox, bringing up Joe Mixon. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll put a little egg in my own face here because I had I put out a tweet saying, man, Joe Mixon is is pretty amazing in a lot of ways because there are so many occasions that I can remember his entire Bengal career where someone's grabbing at his diving at his ankles, you know, t- hitting him in the backfield before he even gets to the line of scrimmage. And I still stand by that in some respects. But and going back in some of the film and, and looking at some of the clips that I've seen on my on my timeline and other other areas. You do see the occasional missed lane, misread, um, and, and so now you've got that aspect plus the what Sox brings up here. Joe Mixon doesn't appear to be making defenders miss or breaking tackles. Does this reinforce the no second running back contract argument? Um, I, I, you know, I don't know if it necessarily uh, the contract part. I don't, I don't know if we want to dive into, but more of where's Chris Evans? You know. Uh, what do we is mixing and some of the lackluster plays we've seen these first two weeks? Is that still a byproduct of all the stuff with the offensive line, or is he also just not making the right reads at times? It's always come back to this argument, which I've been preaching for years now. If it requires your running, if your running back requires a great offensive line to be as successful as possible, then what does that say about the value of an individual running back? Like that, that just is what it is, right? It's always been give Joe Mixon a line and he'll be an elite running back. 
Well, his line is still figuring itself out, and he's still not making the absolute most of it because you're right. He's not breaking tackles. He's not finishing runs. He's not being as, as efficient of a runner as possible compared to other running backs who are also getting paid a ton. Now, now, you know, that's a high bar to set because you're talking about the likes of Nick Chubb and some other running backs. Even Derrick Henry, I think, is off to a slow start. So it can happen to anyone in this position. But that's the nature of the position, right? It's tough, man. It's tough to be a running back in your late 20s. You've, you've had... You don't have a ton of tread left on the tires, and it's tough to break tackles kind of late in your career, but this has always been kind of an issue with Joe, right? Ever since he got to the Bengals after you know the first couple of years, he's never been the guy to, for being 6'1", 220, 230, he just falls to the ground too easily. It's as simple as that. And if it, again, if it requires your offensive line to have perfect blocking for him to average over four yards per carry, that kind of seems more of an indictment on the running back's individual value. Now, when it comes to the Bengals specifically, I don't think the contract that they gave him hurt the team at all because it has, there hasn't been a player that they couldn't have paid because they already paid Joe Mixon. Like, Jesse Bates not getting the contract has nothing to do with the fact that Joe Mixon already got it, right? It, it, the salary cap can... It, it, it's the salary cap. It's not as point-blank as it is. So, in regards to... Has that contract been detrimental to the Bengals? I don't think so. But I think to Sox's point, yeah, like... Even even Joe Mixon, for as spry as he continues to be at 26 years old, six years in, into the league, you're starting to see the true value of the running game, and it has nothing really to do with the individual running back outside of maybe a couple of big runs. Yeah, it, it's really weird with, with Joe because there's so many times where he's dominant, he takes over a game, and you see these plays where either he breaks a couple tackles or he just, you know, he's really good at oftentimes finishing runs, you know, he'll breaking through contact at the end of the run to get an extra couple of yards. But when it comes time to, you know, someone kind of tripping his foot and and maintaining his balance and not, and staying up and getting a few extra yards or that sort of thing. I see that a lot. Um, I do see him get hit in the backfield a lot though, as well uh, before he truly has a chance to kind of make the read, make the cut and go. Um, But, you know, I mean, he's still a good player. And we've seen, um, you know, we, we've seen just a myriad of issues on the offensive line or on the offensive side of the ball where, like I said, there's a lot of blame to go around and it's not just one thing. It's not just one player. It's, it's a lot of them. And, you know, I, I guess uh, that's kind of all there is to it. And really, I, I don't want to steal your thunder here, John, but we can close up with this with the believe it or not. Believe it or not, that the Bengals will right the ship. Not necessarily. I mean, I know it's like, oh, they'll make the playoffs. But just right the ship and look like the team or, and or a more consistent version of the team that we saw last year that made the Super Bowl. Yes. Like, I don't know if it comes this week. I don't know if it comes the week after that. But I think towards the year end, like, they'll they'll definitely have it figured out to a certain extent what that record looks like. Again, we don't know. But I you know, it's the cliche. They're too talented to be this bad. Well, they are objectively too talented to go winless for the rest of the year and to not be right in the conversation, even in a tough AFC. I, I I've heard a lot about the Chiefs start last year and how it's quote unquote similar. It's not. The Chiefs were three and four, but they had a Hall of Fame head coach who is a genius at designing and scheming plays. 
and their offense wasn't as stagnant as the Bengals' offense is. The Chiefs' offense last year, it struggled with turnovers. They were still top five in success rate and EPA per play in the first seven weeks when they were a losing football team. Patrick Mahomes is just insanely turnover-prone for a very inexplicable reason against similar coverages, I might add, which is I think it was where the parallel gets made. But the issues the Chiefs suffered last year aren't necessarily the same as the issues that the Bengals are suffering this year. The Chiefs eventually figured it out. They have Patrick Mahomes. The Bengals also have Joe Burrow. And I think sooner rather than later, they'll look like a competent offense, but that that will be against better teams overall, and the games will continue to be close. And it's just a matter of if they can get off to better starts in the beginning of the game. I, I You know, last year as well, I mean, there were the occasional blowouts that the Bengals engaged in, mostly on the right side of them. But there were a lot of games that, including in the postseason, one-possession games, overtime games, and they fell on the right side of those most of the time. And here we are again, first game, overtime, lose by three, go five full quarters. Next week you travel on the road, backup quarterback, you lose by three again in this. And and it's a matter also of even if you don't play well, flipping that. And getting back to that ability to, uh, to to win these close games. The other thing, John, that you know, I, I guess it just goes with the offensive ineffectiveness. One of the things that the Bengals did very, very well last year was that utilizing the possession right before halftime and or the one coming out of halftime and getting point sandwiching points right around that. So if they've deferred the kick. Oftentimes they'd get a touchdown or a field goal right before the half, and then they'd come out and either, you know, add another touchdown or a field goal, either in that first possession or, you know, the very next possession they'd get there. And it's just, you know, it really was just like kind of a, a knockout punch, so to speak, to the to the opposition. And that just hasn't been the case this year in these first two games. Yeah, it comes down to can you get timely turnovers and can you create explosive plays? That's what they were good at when they were blowing teams out last year, and that's the exact opposite of what's transpiring this year. Like I can just think of just the two games so far. Like, they've had some methodical long drives, but when you're up against the clock there, it's not always going to be easy to get up in, into the end zone unless you have plays that go for more than, like I don't know, 10, 15 yards, which, is, which seems to be the high point of the offense this year. And when the defense is on the field, like even against the Cowboys, like they let them drive down the field a little bit too much in some of those situations. It's, it's, a, it's unfortunately how the game ultimately ended. So... It's a lot of things that are different from uh, this year from last year. All right. Well, that was, believe it or not, and don't call it fact or fiction, by the way. Call it believe it or not. That is the true name. Let's talk a little Jets before we get on out of here. And uh, we've got, like I said, the great Andrew Golden from the Believe Podcast Network talking with us tomorrow to give us an extended preview with it. But, one of the things, I guess it goes hand in hand a little bit of what I was just talking about with deferring kickoffs and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Joe talked about it today. I had I'd seen some things, some rumblings about it a little bit today about, you know, might they want to, if they win the toss, get the ball first and actually get off, you know, try and find that rhythm, get, get off to a hot start, so to speak. Normally, I like the defer and that strategy i just said where you score before half and then coming out of half potentially and you're able to do that but right now with the offense struggling i think getting the ball to start with and maybe utilizing that tyler boyd strategy we talked about might be something that gets things into a rhythm gets some confidence going and then 
potentially has the Jets defense on their heels a little bit from what they may have been watching of, of Bengals film from this year and last. I, I don't know because I, if they get the ball first and they, for whatever reason, don't score, then you, then you just sacrifice the possession at the beginning of the third quarter where we know they have success. And the, I think in their minds, like that's always going to be the strategy that they want because they believe that they can work things out on what on their first drive, whether that's the very first drive of the game or the second drive of the game. Now against the Jets, you know the Jets aren't a complete joke on offense. They can still score, but they sh- they probably have confidence that their defense can, can get them to stop. And then that gives the offense their first drive in a neutral game situation when they're not down by seven points or three points. And I think that's still what they want to do, and I, I still. I still support it. I, I think it's still more important to get that first possession in the second half. Regardless of how the first half happens, you have a chance to either step on the throat or get back within one possession or take the lead at a certain point because then the other team can make adjustments too. And if you give them the ball at the beginning of the second half, then they can roll out something that they hadn't seen before in the first half and then gives them the upper hand. I still think the the right strategy, regardless of the struggles right now, is to defer, but... You know, they, they might be in a position where they have no choice. Maybe the Jets win the toss right. the and the Bengals are forced out there. And we'll see if, if that actually does change anything. Football's weird. Like, I'm not an expert on, on some of these more intricate, weird situational things. But I still think that the, their method is still the, the, the one that I would go with. So, if, if that's the case... Uh, do you, regardless of the case, actually, really, um, I mean, do you see the Bengals kind of continuing to bang their head against the wall a little bit in terms of their offensive approach and continue to kind of try and do some of the things that they have been trying to do? And maybe they just are ho- thinking and or hoping that they, because the Jets defense may not have some of the pieces or some of the whatever that the Cowboys and Steelers do not, that they'll have success or do you think that they're going to try and change things up a little bit this week and do some different things going forward? Well, I think we can both agree. Like they have to do something different with the way that they orchestrate their passing game. I know there's been a lot of people that have been clamoring for more bootlegs for more rollouts, get Joe out of the pocket because it gives him a chance to work with his legs and throw on the run and at least not be in a pocket that's completely collapsing. They have, and I think I'm confident in saying this, the worst selection of bootlegs I have ever seen at any level of football of all time. Whenever they go bootleg and roll Joe out like that, it always ends up being a throwaway or a throw in the dirt or a completion for negative three yards. It's one of three things, and neither of them are good. Most of them are negative, actually. It's insane how bad that they are there, and I don't think that adding more plays of that um, of that category will lead to positive results. If you don't have the plays, then you don't have the plays. It's, it's, there's no use in rolling them out there. Now, of course, the simple solution is to run better plays in that regard. What if they're incapable of doing that? We might as well stick with what they know how to do best. And if that's just having Joe and take straight dropbacks, maybe that's the plan. But, of course, the offense line has to pass protect more. And I think a lot of these issues just come down to they just have to perform up to the expectation. They have to perform up to their talent abilities. That's ultimately why they're down 0-2. Guys are just not playing as well as they could be. And now it comes down to coaches putting them in good positions and good situations to fulfill whatever potential that they have. But it feels like they're not even doing the simple things right, and they're just lapsing a lot of execution things that they shouldn't be lapsing, regardless of the rust of the lack of preseason or lack of practice time. 
Well, so now the Bengals, as they take on the Jets, they are poised to uh, face another backup quarterback and one who won last week, Joe Flacco, uh, a guy that the Bengals are very familiar with, for better or for worse. Your thoughts on him with the Jets and, you know, what maybe maybe what happened last week and how they pulled that out. I, I, Joe, I had, I had heard Joe Flacco had told – you know, some of the the press and the announcers of his game that, you know, he was pretty confident that if the Jets kind of had the ball late, uh, they would score late. They would find way a way to win, unlike, you know, the situation in week one. And here they are. That's what happened last week. Wacky game. Uh, a, a lot of different things occurred in that one for them to get the win. But I don't know. The viability of Joe Flacco. I mean, some people are saying it's really not that much different or worse than Zach Wilson, because a lot of people aren't Zach Wilson believers, but uh, your your kind of take on that. I mean, I think he hit the nail on the head. Flacco's been practicing as the starter for a month now. Like, Wilson got hurt in the middle of the preseason. He's taken all the first-team reps for four or five weeks. He started every single regular season game. He has well over 100 starts in his career. I don't think they look at it as a backup, and I don't think anyone should really look at this as a backup because relative to who he would be backing up, He's not that much worse. In fact, he might even be better and more consistent just because he's a 37, 36-year-old veteran with a ton of experience, and Zach Wilson is a second-year player just trying to get some type of stability in there. So to, to me, like this is the this is along with the lines of Mitchell Trubisky. Like, yes, Trubisky probably shouldn't be starting for an NFL team, but compared to who they have available, like he's just not any worse, I guess, and like he's just the best that they have and Flacco in an open quarterback competition might be the best quarterback that they have because I'm not exactly sold on Zach Wilson after that rookie year, but Flacco can still sling it. He can still take the top off of a defense. And I think Anthony, the receiving core is the, is even better than the Steelers receiving core that they faced in week one. I think Garrett Wilson has been phenomenal as a rookie receiver and he's got he had a hundred hundred yard game last week, right? Yeah. He looks really good as a rookie. Still Corey Davis, who I, I forget. This is his second year with, with New York. Because he was with the Titans earlier. Yes. Okay. Yes. So Corey Davis, solid number two. Elijah Moore, I think a promising second-year receiver. He hasn't been involved that much in the offense. I think he's only averaging about 11 yards uh, per reception. And he's, I think, fifth in targets. But they have two tight ends in Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama, who may or may not play this week for a revenge-type situation. But Conklin has been decent. I think he's got one of their touchdowns. But, yeah, Gil- Gary Wilson, solid number one. I think he's also been in the slot the most out of any of these receivers, so Mike Hilton will have to step up. I think they have decent receivers to, to go up against this Bengals secondary, and Flacco is prone to making some you know stupid decision, decisions here and there, but he's still got an arm that the Bengals have to account for. Well, you know, Conklin has actually had, I think he's had either a lost fumble in both games or uh, I think a fumble in each game so far uh, this year. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of threats there and we all know what happened last year when the Bengals played the jets. That was just uh, not a fun game here. They are familiar with Flacco. Uh, Flacco, like you said, can, can get the ball downfield a bit. The the point this week though, because Flacco will, will is not as mobile as a Zach Wilson. They will need to get pressure. And that's always been the case with with Flacco. Get sacks, get pressure, put him in a hole. And then that's when those bad decisions start to come. The ball gets forced and that sort of thing. If it's a lot more the same from a pass rush standpoint this week, and I think this is kind of we can transition into keys and all that kind of stuff. 
you know, we can talk about the offense playing better and getting Tyler Boyd involved and all of that. The Bengals need to have some semblance of consistent pressure and big plays in the form of sacks, you know, strip sacks. They, they need, uh, while the defense has kept them into games and uh, given them the opportunity to win, I think as you wait for the offense to play catch up, I, th- I still think you need to have some of those impactful, potentially even game-changing plays from your defense. I hate to put it on their shoulders and their lap, whatever analogy you want to you want to say, but I think for now that's going to be the case, especially with a you know I, I don't want to call him completely immobile, but a less mobile quarterback than some of the others they have faced this year in Joe Flacco. This is a true put up or shut up day for the defensive line. The Jets' offensive line, I think, is one of the few that's performing worse than the Bengals' offensive line, not necessarily from a pressures allowed or just pure production standpoint, but just from a performance standpoint. You have young guys in Elijah Vera Tucker, um, uh, George Fan at tackle. They have Max Mitchell now at one of the tackle spots just because, my God, you had Makai Beckton get injured. Then you then you brought in it was a veteran offensive tackle that they signed last minute and then he got injured. Now he's on IR. So now they're down to the third option at one of the tackle spots. Lakin Tomlinson was added this off season, but he's not been good as, as a pass protector. They have no quality right now. Pass blocking offensive lineman. Vera Tucker might be the best. And he's had a pretty much average year. So there are exploitable pieces on that offensive line all over the line. It should be a day where Trey Hendrickson finds himself. It should be a day where, B.J. Reeder continues to get penetration. B.J. Hill, I think, is one of the worst defensive tackles in terms of pass rush win rate from ESPN's metric. I don't think he's been playing as bad as that, but he should have a decent day as well. So defense line needs pressure. Pressure can force Aaron throws. Aaron throws can lead to interceptions from Jesse Bates, who I believe had an interception against the Jets last year. Chidabay Wouzier, Mike Hilton and company should have opportunities to get some Aaron passes. Let's hope. What are uh, you know? It sounds like you're in agreement with it with one of the major keys of the game. Any others and or a prediction you want to give on this one before we talk with Andrew Golden tomorrow from the Believe Podcast Network? I just don't really have a lot of predictions with this offense right now. One because I don't really know what the Jets' defense is schematically, and even if they do have an identity, I just don't see why they wouldn't be doing the same thing that every other defense is doing right now. I, I will say, like when they drafted Sauce Gardner at cornerback, like he was billed. Because at UC, he was always like on an island. They were always playing these single high coverages, and they were just leaving him with a deep third. So in my mind, them drafting him made me think that their defense is more of that single high type of defense that the Bengals had in the past had history exploiting. But maybe they just go into more of these you know zone coverages, drop seven or eight back into these two deep shells. And if that's the case, I'm not entirely sure this is a get-right game for them because the Jets' defensive line is pretty good. I think Jonathan Franklin Myers not practicing is huge because he's been really uh, successful as a pass rusher, even though he has, doesn't, hasn't, hasn't had a sack. I think his pass rushing grade is in the upper upper 80s. Carl Lawson, that's the first time that they've played him since he's been a Jet. He's still pretty decent. Quinn Williams, I think, is also not practicing, but he's a decent player. The defensive line is good. They don't necessarily have Michael Parsons or T.J. Watt but I think it's enough to take advantage of an offensive line that's clearly still in flux. So I'm, I'm not comfortable saying this is a get-right game for the offense, but it will just have to be the defense just limiting Flacco in, into a low-scoring game. Look at James Hawley. Does Carl Lawson go off on Jonah Williams? Oof. That is a storyline to watch. I, mean, and I, I think I think Carl Lawson definitely has some you know feelings potentially about the Bengals. I think he, he like 
CJ Uzama also aired out that maybe they felt a little undervalued by the by the Bengals, but it is what it is, and we'll have to see. This is not a good week for Jonah Williams to continue to, to potentially struggle. And then obviously we have to figure out what's going on with Leo Collins and his injury. But yeah, this is a, this is a situation. I, I don't know if I would call it a, a get right game, you know, where the Bengals, you know, I, I would consider a get right game, you know, one where, you know, Cincinnati wins comfortably by multiple possessions type of thing. And, you know, there you go. They've, they've righted the ship and the deep balls back and all that kind of stuff. I, so I don't, from that standpoint, I don't know that it would be a get right game. I do think that it, I would be very hard to believe that the, I would find it hard to believe that the Bengals would fall to 0 and 3 and those teams being the Steelers, the Cowboys with a backup quarterback and the Jets to start the season. I just, I, I find that very hard to believe. Um, you're getting the right mindset from some of the leaders in the Bengals locker room. So I, I'm inclined to think that the Bengals win this one, but it's probably going to be one of those squeaky, ugly ones. Um, that we talked about. Maybe it's a one-possession game and or something that comes down to the wire, and that's what gets you right. Getting getting that tough win, your first win, and getting that under your belt, maybe that's what ends up getting you right down the road and you figured out a way to win when, when things still weren't going all that great. You, you pulled out a victory. I'm hoping that's the case for the Bengals this, this week because 0-3, even with the extra game in the regular season, John, that uh, that's – that's not a ticket to the postseason. <laughs> Pretty much. You have arguably the league's most inefficient offense in the Bengals facing the league's most inefficient defense in the Jets. And this is according to just, just raw DVOA numbers. That leads me to believe that this is going to be an ugly game. And I kind of thought that was going to be the case with the Cowboys. I was like 17 to 13 uh, last week. So I'm going to go around that this week as well. I'm going to say like 19 to 16. I want to say Bengals. I feel like I am cursed at this point. Whenever I pick them to win, they always lose. I'll say 19, 16 Jets. Just, just, just as a, a control. Just as a, just to see if I'm actually you. cursed here. I yeah. got it. It's a mechanism. It's a mechanism. Yeah. I like it. Uh, I, you know, I, I'll go. Uh, let's see. The Bengals have scored 17 and 20. I'll say 23. 23-17 Cincinnati, one possession game. Uh, you know, nothing nothing where you go, hey, you know, they're back, but something where you say, hey, that's a win and let's let's build on it type of thing. That's kind of my thought. And thank you, Pat, uh, P. Crawley513 for the super chat there. Going to the Pollock Family Foundation. That is, again, give, send, go. I'll put that in the live chats as well give send go.com slash Pollock family foundation. You can tell I'm typing while I'm, I'm saying it out loud. There you go. <laughs> uh, so thank you. P Crawley five, one, three, go support them. They do a lot of great stuff, not only in the, the greater Atlanta area, this, the state of Georgia, but they're also trying to expand. They do a lot of community events. They work with the children's hospital of Atlanta. And of course, David Pollock, former Bengals linebacker uh, in first round pick, uh, devastating neck injury cut his career short but now has a great career on espn and trying to do some good and we want to highlight that as he made a, a very cool appearance on our show uh gosh i guess a couple months back now but that was a that was a fun one let's get out of here we've gone a little long john uh drop the mic what do you got for us uh nothing much just uh for everyone still listening be sure to t- tune into our jets preview tomorrow and with our 
uh, listener questions live episode with Tyler Bangalore. And be sure to submit questions before the show. We'd like to kind of cue things up as we get the show rolling and uh, submit some questions as the show's going on. So we got a busy week ahead of us. Please do. Uh, I, I told John this before we took the air, but I had a conversation with Bengal Jim, Jimmy Foster, today, uh, who, as you, as a lot of you know, is now on the Cincy, his show, Talking Football with Bengal Jim and Friends. It's on the, the Cincy Jungle podcast channel, and obviously he has his own great YouTube channel as well. He's doing a really cool thing for Thurs- the Thursday Night Football game coming up next week. Um, they, uh, I think they announced it late last night on their show. Uh, from 7.30 to 9 p.m. Eastern at the Holy Grail, they'll have giveaways. Um, they're going to do a live show from the Holy Grail down there. That's in the banks, right, John? Mm-hmm. Uh, Holy Grail, yeah. So uh, they'll have, I, I think, Willie Anderson, Isaac Curtis, Paul Alexander, um, and and uh, I, I think Dave Lapham potentially is going to be there and, and a couple of others, maybe one other surprise guest. Um, there's going to be some potentially some Cincy jungle representation there as well and all kinds of different things, but a lot of fans, they're expecting a packed house. So, uh, you can always, he's always interacting with a lot of different Bengals fans as Jim. So if you have questions on that, uh, you know, and, and they'll announce more with that, but really cool thing to kind of kick off that fun week with the Bengals ring of honor unveiling coming up against, uh, in that game against the dolphins. Yeah. Live shows are always fun. So definitely get down to the banks if you can i may or may not be there i need to check out some other things but um yeah it should be a lot of fun yeah that was one of the places i wanted to go last time after the game and it was just slammed and yeah. then i was also with my nephew who was not of drinking age so they wouldn't let us in so it was like oh boy ah but i wanted to go there at any rate someday someday i will get there John, thank you for everything you do for this show. And we've got uh, a lot more coming up, a lot more fun coming up this week. But appreciate your time, bud. Yeah, talk to you guys next week. All right. See you, everybody. We will uh, we'll be back with a lot more for you, like John said. Well, technically tomorrow and Friday, but for this show next week, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got more, more this week, more next week. We got it all for you. You know the deal. All right, take it easy. This is the Orange and Black Insider. He's John. I'm Anthony. We'll talk to you soon.